We're continuing in Advent, looking forward to the day in which we celebrate the coming of Christ and perhaps remembering what it must have been like for those who lived before Christ as they awaited God fulfilling the promises of centuries past, the sense of uh, uncertainty and longing for God to finally step in and do what he's promised to do. We're so fortunate to live on the other side of that, that God has already fulfilled those promises and come to us in Christ. But we are reminded as we approach Christmas of how desperately we need Jesus and what a huge difference his coming makes, not just in the world, but in our lives in every aspect of what we live. And I want to ask you, as we're talking about hope today, what gives you hope? I think all of us place our hope in something, and perhaps a lot of times there are specific benchmarks we attach our hope to. We hope uh, to get married. We hope to have a family. We uh, hope to uh, achieve this or that uh, benchmark in our careers, reach this or that level of things. And perhaps we find as we go through life that oftentimes our hopes don't pan out the way we expected them to. They don't come to fruition. And we have this sinking realization that our lives may not live up to the hopes we had for them. They may not be uh, what we wanted them to be. And we may not end up having the kind of significant impact in the world we had hoped to have. So as we're entering into this today, let me ask you to be pondering, where exactly is your hope? What have you attached your hope to in this life? We're in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, but before we start reading those, let me recap a little bit of what's come before in Genesis. We start out with a wonderful recount of creation. I, I call the, the description of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, I call it an, an intelligent design description of creation. Uh, I don't think it's uh, so much about chronology, but as it's about how perfectly all of creation has been fashioned by God to fit together in this perfect way, everything according to its kind and everything in its right place and everything filling every aspect of creation in just the right ways so that nothing is left empty or vacant uh, and everything is perfectly arranged. Such a beautiful description of creation and it culminates in the creation of a, a being that we are told God created in his own image and likeness, male and female. Man and woman. Uh, he created humankind as, as kind of the crowning moment in creation. And it's, it's a glorious start to the Bible story there in Genesis. When God himself looks down and says, it is all very good. When God says that about something, you can be pretty certain that he's not just uh, talking about things being good enough but that creation was perfect. Everything we could ever hope it should be, it was. That doesn't last long, though. Very quickly, Adam and Eve destroy that. God gives them the choice 
of trusting him or rebelling against him. And they choose to rebel against him. And as a, a result of that, sin enters the world and begins its process of contaminating all of creation. And immediately we see not only that humankind is excluded from eternal life and kicked out of the garden, but we immediately see things like murder and rape and abuse and uh, just horrendous treatment of one another. It springs up almost automatically, immediately, and spreads throughout humankind. We have Cain killing his brother Abel almost immediately out of jealousy of all things. And uh, the story continues and things just get worse and worse. Sin and evil and wickedness spread and we arrive at a, a guy called Noah. And in that time we are told that humankind as, as a whole had just turned its back on God completely. And had given themselves up to wickedness and evil and abuse. And every cruel and horrible intent. That was all anybody was interested in. And there was at that time only one person on the face of the earth who looked to, to God. Noah. That was a horrendous moment in human history, a moment where we are told God regretted having created man. And it grieved him in his heart. Some of you parents know a little bit of that, where uh, you experience pain because of your children. And God reaches a point where he looks at humankind that it's created in his image and says, I regret ever making humankind. And we, we sense as we read that the, that the fate of humankind hangs in the balance. What is God going to do? I'm an artist. When I'm doing a painting and I don't like it, Sometimes I'll just paint it over. It's gone. That painting is gone never to return. And I'll just start fresh. God as creator could have done that. And, and we, we sense that in the days of Noah. That that's what we've come to. But Noah, there's this one guy who looks to God. So God intervenes and says, okay, I'm going to wipe out all life, but wait. I want to keep Noah. And God not only keeps Noah, he keeps his family and uses the ark to save them from the flood and kills the rest of humankind and thereby brings dramatically down the level of wickedness and cruelty and abuse that is going on on earth. And at Noah kind of becomes this new beginning. But God shows us in Noah that he has made a choice. Even though he regrets making us because of sin. And even though sin turns his stomach. God looks on us and says, I am not going to eradicate the human race. And he enters into a covenant with Noah. I'm never again going to wipe out the whole human race with a flood. I am going to preserve your existence. So that's kind of good news, I guess. Although it doesn't say anything about God wanting us around. He's just going to tolerate 
our continued existence. And the next thing after Noah is the Tower of Babel, the first humanist project where God says to Noah and his descendants, spread out and cover the face of the earth. What they do is, let's not spread out. Let's gather all together in one place. And we're going to build this tower to the sky. And we together, maybe not just one of us, but if we put all our heads together, we can reach Godhood. That's the second moment we see God intervene and do something in the story of Genesis. And what God does is he confuses the languages of people. And as a result, they abandon this project and they begin to spread out. And uh, we have the beginnings of nations People speak a language, they stay together. People who don't understand the language, they go with another group and, and humankind begins to spread out across the earth. And the groups that are forming are smaller than they would have been otherwise. I know if you've ever had to learn a language, you might wonder, why in the world, God, did you have to do that? Uh, learning a language is hard. It's very difficult. Uh, but I... I I'd like to ask you to consider what might have happened if he hadn't intervened. If he had let this project go on. What happens when we all get together and we say we're going to pursue power. We're going to uh, dominate creation itself. And we're going to crown ourselves gods of creation. What happens when a bunch of human beings get together in that kind of a project? Well, throughout human history, we've had attempts like that. We've had kingdoms and empires that have risen up where the people at the top claim to be gods. How does it always work out for the people at the bottom? You end up with thousands and thousands of slaves building pyramids. You end up with abuse and oppression. So what God did at Babel was, was a kindness to us. And what we see in Noah is God's going to tolerate our continued existence, but what we see at Babel is God is not just going to sit and watch. God is not going to sit back and observe how we wreck everything. God will intervene. And when we come into these projects where our capacity for wickedness is multiplied, God intervenes to put an end to these things. I think we can study all of human history as an account of how God has kept our wickedness in check. No horrible empire has succeeded in wresting control of the whole earth and maintaining it for any amount of time significantly. God always intervenes to put an end. That's perhaps a little better news. God will let us keep living and when we make things too bad, he'll intervene to keep it from going off the rails completely. But that's still not great news. What about the tree of life? What about life eternal? What about Eden? What about perfection? What about a, a world without all this nastiness and cruelty and suffering? What about a world that's as it should be? 
Is God going to do something about that? And it's at that point in the biblical story that we arrive at the passage we're looking at today. And I think, I'm convinced, these three verses is where God shows his hand and lets us know what he's up to. So let's start reading here, verse 1. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This wonderful intervention by God begins with a very small thing. God finds one guy named Abram and invites him on a journey. God says, go, leave your country, your kindred, your father's house, and go, I'm going to show you where. Let's get on the road, and I'll tell you as we're on our way. Notice that God doesn't even tell Abram where he's going. He just says, I want you to pack and go wherever I tell you, wherever I show you to go. Now, we... We might think, oh, well, I don't like to travel. That's kind of an inconvenience. Well, in Abram's day, it was a whole lot more than an inconvenience. And even just the difficulties of traveling by foot or donkey or horse at the best, uh, very slow travel, that's not even the worst of it. Notice he says, leave your country, your kindred, your father's house. In antiquity, there weren't laws not, not codes of laws and senates and uh, government the way we have today. It was very, very rudimentary. You might have a king who passes some laws and uh, kind of does it to, to accommodate his interests. But by and large at this time, there was no government there was no police there was no 911 to call if your neighbor is trying to do something break into your house or do something and the way you stayed safe was you lived with your family clan and you had a bunch of kids and they protected the household and uh, that was your safety. Now, as we read the story, we find out Abram really needed that safety more than your average person because he was 75 years old and had yet to have one son. So he's getting up there in years. He's getting to be an old man and has nobody to take care of him but his extended family. To go out and travel, take your belongings with you, go out on the road anybody that runs across you and wants what you have can just kill you and take it and nobody's going to do anything about it we talk about today some uh, some areas of certain countries like when we travel to Mexico there are certain areas they tell you not to go into because it's dangerous there's not the kinds of protections you would expect or hope for and there is very much danger for your life in certain areas of, of the world. that The whole world was that way in Abram's day. So when God says to him, go where I'll show you, leave all of that safety behind, uh, he's asking a lot of Abram. But what we see, the, the first step in this, is an invitation to trust. Abram, put all of your eggs in this basket. Put your trust in me and let's go. Leave behind all the things you've trusted in before and let me take care of you. Let's go where I'll tell you. I have a question from this verse. God called Abraham to leave it all behind 
and follow where he would lead him. How does your life compare with Abraham's when it comes to your relationship with God? Let's read verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So we realize here, in verse 1, it's not clear. Maybe God just wants Abram to get himself killed. It could be. Uh, But in verse 2, it becomes obvious. God uh, says a little more about what he's up to. The reason I'm inviting you on this journey with me, Abram, is that I want to do something in your life. I want to turn you into a great nation. Now, Abram must have chuckled at that thought because he was 75 years old. Sarah, his wife, was 65. And they had yet to conceive even one son. I think Abram, in terms of his hopes and his life and his expectations, he had probably resigned himself to, I'm going to be one of these guys that passes through the annals of human history unnoticed. I will do what I can do for the years I have, but there will be no son to remember me, to carry on my name, to tell others about me. I'm I'm just going to be a blip. My life will have no significant impact on the course of human history. I'm sure Abram had come to grips with that reality. And God now is saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. The audacity of what God is suggesting here, of taking this old man and making a nation out of him. Not only that, uh, it isn't just, I'm going to raise up yet another nation to uh, perpetrate oppression and try to go out and conquer the world the way so many other nations have. No, I am going to use this family of yours, this nation I'm going to make of you to uh, make you a blessing. And Abram personally, I'm going to bless you. God says, I want to bless you. I want to make your name great. Abram took God up on this, by the way. That's why we know him. That's why we remember his name. Nobody would have any idea who Abram was, or Abraham, as his name later became. But God says, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. You're not going to be an insignificant blip on on the course of human history. I'm going to make your name great. And people the world over are going to know who you are. And they are going to honor your memory. Because they are going to look to you as an example to be followed. Who would have thought that 4,000 years later, people of three major religions on this earth, scattered through every corner of this world, would all be looking back at the name of Abraham as somebody they want to claim as their spiritual father. Christians, Muslims, Jews, all revere the name of Abram. God said, I want to make your name great. I want your life to leave a mark on this world. And I'm going to make you a blessing. So not only, God says, am I going to bless you, but I'm going to make you 
uh, a source of blessing to others. And that's the pattern, not just for Abram's life, but for his descendants. So not only does God decide not to destroy us, not only does he say I'm going to intervene and keep evil in check, but he intervenes with Abram and says, here's what I'm really up to. I want to bless humankind. Even though we are sinful, even though uh, we are destroying and breaking creation in the things we are doing. God wants to bless us and he makes Abraham an example for us of what God's up to. I want to bless you and I want you to become a source of blessing to others. I have a question from verse 2. When all hope for significance was lost, God gave Abram a chance to be a blessing to the whole human race. How have you experienced God making your life a blessing to others. And let's read the last verse, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I think this is where God really shows his hand. He's not going to destroy, he's going to keep evil in check, but what does he really want to do with us? He wants to bless All of us. He wants to bring blessing to the whole earth, to every single family and nation of the earth. God wants to bring his blessing. How is he going to do this? He's going to do it in Abraham and in the blessing he brings to Abraham. In that, the whole earth will find the blessing of God. So there's a universal aspect to this. God's intent is to use Abraham and his family. And in in another passage in Genesis where God is talking to Abraham about this, he talks about a descendant, singular, of his that will be key to the blessings reaching all the families of the earth. The culmination of the promises God made to Abraham came in Christ. Jesus was that descendant of Abraham. God himself took on flesh and came into the earth in the lineage of Abraham to complete the bringing of blessings to all the families of the earth. And the intent of God is for this to be for everyone. You know the marching orders Jesus gave to us before he returned to the right hand of the Father. He said, go to all the earth. Share it with everybody. We had apostles like Paul in the first century that were very aware of the burden of this. I am a debtor to all, he said. We owe a debt to the world to bring this blessing to every person on the earth. This is not meant to be for a select few. This is not meant to be for some special people. It is meant to be for all of us, but there is a a way to opt out of this blessing. God says, Abram, I'm going to make you the pattern and the vehicle of blessing so that uh, when people turn to you and become participants with you in the faith you are demonstrating for the world and you become uh, 
people who have bought into this, putting our trust in the God who is calling us to himself, when you enter into that blessing, you will be a participant with Abraham in that blessing. But if you dishonor that, if you want nothing to do with it, if you look at Abram and all that has come from him and the blessing of God that culminates in Jesus, if you look at all of that and say, I want nothing to do with all of that, then there is no blessing, just the curse that we already had. The curse that God has already demonstrated against sin. God is not going to tolerate sin. If we reject Christ and choose our sin instead, all we have from God is curse. So in that sense, it's exclusive. God, God isn't bringing his blessing through 50 million different religions and through uh, 40 or 50 different significant religious figures that have arisen throughout the world. There was one plan from God, one family that would be the blessing, one descendant of Abraham who would be the blessing to the whole earth. So it's for everybody. But there's only one way to get into it. There's only one channel. And in that sense, the blessing is exclusive. I have a final question from this verse. God made a universal invitation to all through Jesus Christ. The descendant of Abram who brought blessings to all the earth. But only those who put their faith in him will be blessed. How have you responded to Jesus, God's blessing for all? Maybe you're like Abraham. Maybe uh, you're reaching a point in life where you feel like the, the hopes you had are not going to pan out. And the expectations and hopes you had earlier in life don't seem to be filling out the way you had hoped to. Maybe you're facing disillusionment. Life isn't what I expected it to be. This, these circumstances of my life aren't what I thought they were going to be. I thought I would be so much further ahead. I thought I would have this great career or I would have this uh, great family and great grandchildren and all these amazing, wonderful things and things don't pan out the way you expect them to. The good news isn't that Perhaps the things we have chosen to attach our hopes to are always going to come out the way we want them to. The good news is that God is at work with a grand plan of blessing that spans eternity. That will never end. A plan so perfect and amazing that it addresses every failing, every shortcoming. And the wonderful news is that in Christ, God has invited us into this plan. We can put our hope in things we dream up. Or we can say, you know what? What I can think of that might make my life great may not be the best plan. What if God and what he is doing across creation for all eternity is a superior thing to hitch my wagon to. What if God himself, if Jesus Christ is a better object of faith 
and a better recipient of human hope than anything I could dream up. I'd like to encourage you this Christmas season to put your faith, your trust in Jesus and to let him become the center of all your hopes and aspirations. Whatever else may or may not pan out the way you want it to, make Jesus the core hope of your existence. Will you make Jesus your hope? Please join me in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not destroying us, for not wiping us out, getting us out of the way, saying, you know, I'm, I'm done with their wickedness, their pettiness, their cruelty, their selfish, greedy hearts. I, I don't want anything to do with them. Thank you that you have loved us in spite of all of it. And thank you that you invite us into eternity with you, that you turn to us and say, I want to bless you. I want to bring my goodness to bear on your life in an eternal sense. God, help us to place the hopes and dreams of our hearts not on anything we can dream up, but to to attach them to you and what you are up to. And allow us to be true spiritual heirs of the patrimony of Abraham. Allow us to be children of Abraham by faith and to enter into this life of blessing that may be difficult and may have a lot of things we didn't want, but that you will make our lives significant for the good of what you are up to and that we will impact the world for good and because of you participate with you in it eternally. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.